It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings, and we have a very fun week coming up. It's draft week. Finally, we are here. This is the time. And so if you didn't listen to previous episodes, real quick, here is the plan. We are going to do episodes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday like normal. However, on Thursday morning, what would usually be the final episode of the week would upload right before the draft actually happens. And that's kind of silly, you know, to wait through the whole weekend and then do uh, like draft recaps all week next week or something like that. So what I'm going to do is take all of next week's episodes and shift them up to go right up back to back with this week's episodes. So you will get a round one recap on Friday morning. You will get a day two recap on Saturday morning. You will get a day three recap on Sunday morning. And then on Monday morning, you will get a recap of kind of an overview of the whole thing and then some stuff about the undrafted free agents that the Vikings pick up. So after all of that, of course, because I shifted them all up, there will be a little bit of a break and we won't be back until the following Monday. And then we'll resume operations like normal from there. So that is the plan. You're going to get eight straight days days of podcasting, uh, and then your pal is going to need a break. So if you, again, if you are new to what we are doing here, if you haven't been listening all off season, or if you're just new to the show in general and you're cramming for the draft, here's what we've been doing. We've been covering one prospect per day on this show, and every week, usually every Monday, we've been doing a mock draft to cover more prospects. Now, the rules of that mock draft are that I cannot take anybody in that mock draft that I've taken in a previous one for this exercise. So, for example, in the first iteration of these mock draft Mondays, I took Cody Ford in the first round. I can't take Cody Ford now for the rest of those drafts. So you're about to hear the fifth one of these, and let me tell you, it gets a little more interesting once you've taken, you know, four of your five favorite offensive linemen in the first round. You know, the pickings get a little bit slimmer. So we'll get into all of that in a little bit. But first, uh, I do want to talk about today's prospect of the day. So previewing the mock draft a little bit, today's prospect of the day is somebody that I elected not to take. I actually ended up in the third round uh, at a little bit of a decision point, And instead of kind of taking one and leaving the other by the wayside, I wanted to take one and then basically make the other guy the prospect of the day. So the person I did not take, and I'll explain that decision when we get to it in the mock draft, but I, I want to talk about him in a vacuum as the prospect of the day, is J.J. Arcee. Whiteside. He's a Stanford wide receiver, and in a word, he's a possession receiver. He is like exactly what you would imagine a possession receiver to be. A guy who can box out and do contested catches, has all kinds of body control at the catch points. If you throw like a relatively inaccurate pass, he's the kind of guy that can like make that okay and you know make it kind of make up for Case Keenum throws if if you remember kind of how how 2017 worked. And we have two guys that are really good about it, but we need a third. There's going to be a third guy on that on the field all the time. So having another person who can, you know, box out and convert a third and nine is a, a potentially really valuable thing. I would I would enjoy uh, our Seagull Whiteside on the Vikings, but I don't think it's going to happen. And a lot of it is because he doesn't have crazy top end speed or crazy athleticism. And the Vikings just generally tend to, to trend toward like higher upside athletes. So it's a little tougher to project him to the Vikings, though he comes out of the box with a lot of polish and a, a lot of like acumen. You know, he he has he doesn't need a lot of development to get to where he is. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't really get to develop any further than where he is. And that's going to be OK 
considering that he's going to be drafted in like day two. And that's what you want from day two, a guy who can come in, contribute right away and maybe gets better. Maybe he doesn't, but he is essentially like at that ceiling. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does kind of, you know, prevent him from being like a first round wide receiver, for example, which is something that we've already all kind of agreed on. So whatever. Another way to think about this guy is essentially he's the ceiling of Laquan Treadwell. If you are one of the few people that still believes in Laquan Treadwell, I personally am not. But if he were to develop into the guy that like is the, the best case scenario of what Treadwell can be, that's our Sega white side. So you're essentially spending, call it a third round pick or a second round pick on a wide receiver that can contribute what you thought you were getting from Treadwell and then you can move on uh, from that whole situation. So in a little more detail, though, I want to talk about like what makes him a technician, because I, I guess I, I don't want to just say, yeah, he's good at route running and then not explain what that means. So the, the thing that I think everybody like notices right off the bat and that everybody agrees on is his releases. He just flies off of the line of scrimmage. And that can be really important when NFL teams are trying to press cover you. So, you know, they put their cornerback like right in the face of your wide receiver and then your wide receiver can't necessarily run forward and run his route because there's a guy in his way and it then it screws up the timing of the play. So you need a guy that's good on the call it the release that gets off of the line of scrimmage like that and using his hands very violently and having a nice explosive first step so he can like, you know, explosively step to the side and then explosive, explosively accelerate past the cornerback that can help create separation. And, you know, there are a few little uh, things he can improve on, like at the top of his routes or, you know, little tweaks that he can get or selling the stems a little bit better. But that all that stuff is, is nitpicky and things that, you know, you can kind of pick up after time in the NFL. But for the Vikings, what they need is an immediate contributor. So Arcega Whiteside would fill that role. He would probably come in and be the third wide receiver considering the rest of the group and what they have right now. I, I think he would come in and immediately be the third. I don't think he would have much trouble beating Laquan Treadwell in a camp battle at all. And, you know, especially in the red zone or in, you know, contested third down situations where it's third and nine and everyone's covered and you just have to heave it up to somebody, he's going to be the guy that can box out and go get it. And having that alongside Diggs and Thielen, who can also box out and go get it, is going to be something that maybe has a, a smaller effect in like box scores and it might not, you know, lead to a lot of volume stats, but it seems like the kind of thing that would come up when it matters the most. So, you know, not all yards are created equal and he's the kind of guy that would get you more high leverage yards because he can beat that press cover you know, and, and a lot of times teams will like couple press coverage with a blitz because it'll take the receivers that much longer to, you know, get to the, to the top of their route. And that'll give your blitz that much longer to get there. And being able to mitigate that problem can really put a lot less pressure on your line and on your quarterback. Now, I'm not sure if uh, Arcega Whiteside actually passes the thresholds that the Vikings have because I don't, I'm not intimately familiar with their wide receiver thresholds. But in terms of his athleticism, again, he does not have this crazy upside. He's not going to turn into a Juju Smith-Schuster type or anything like that. He's just going to be your, you know, possession number three, Jarius Wright type guy that can get reasonably open, can make a, an important catch here and there. And otherwise, the offense goes through the guys like Dalvin Cook and Thielen and Diggs and Rudolph that are all already there. So that is, in a nutshell, what Arcega Whiteside is. He's a possession receiver. I think whoever drafts him is going to be really happy with what they get out of him, um, so long as they set those expectations at a reasonable level. I think if you say, yeah, I want a guy that can help me out on a third down, or a guy that can, you know, catch a slant, or a guy that can, you know, catch a red zone pass, and, and I'm not going to get a guy that burns down the field for a 70-yard, you know, flashy big giant highlight play. You're not going to get that out of him. And if you understand that going in, I think that's absolutely worth a third round pick. So that is where I think he'll end up 
in the NFL. So I'm going to step away to a quick ad break. And when I come back, we will talk about Mock Draft Monday. See you all in a second. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Okay, welcome back. So let's get into this mock draft. It's always the most fun episode of the week. So this is going to be the last mock draft that we do before, like, the next full draft that I'll be breaking down on this show will be the real one, the actual thing. So this is the last opportunity. This is the fifth one of these. And just to kind of recap what we have done, I'll link, there's a tweet that I had a while back where I I linked all of the drafts so you can see exactly who was off limits. But real quick, at least the first rounders that are off limits are Cody Ford, Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard, and Chris Lindstrom. Those are the four guys that I cannot take under any circumstances, and everybody else is also off limits. I won't list them, though. Check out the the link in the show notes. I'll, I'll get that to you down there. So the way this board fell actually was a pretty good one for this particular problem because a lot of the linemen were off the board. Dillard was off the board. Uh, Jonah Williams was off the board. Jawan Taylor was off the board. The only, I guess I'd call them blue chip, but I don't think they're like actually blue chip players like a Nick Bosa or Quinn and Williams is, but you know, the, the linemen that are like exciting that people would be really happy with. The only guy left on the board was Cody Ford. And like I said, I can't take him. So I kind of had to look elsewhere. I could have taken Dalton Risner and I actually would take Dalton Risner at 18. I've spoken about that in a previous podcast. Um, But I also kind of thought, you know what? It's kind of lame. You're going to do five mock drafts and take OL in the first round every single time. Uh, There's another previous podcast where I actually did like 12 mock drafts where I didn't take offensive line in the first round to see how easy it was to get OL in, in day two. And I think what I've found and the more I learn about the like day two quote unquote guys like you know, Risner and Lindstrom and Elgin Jenkins is that the the odds of those guys falling to pick 50 is a little bit too low for my tastes. So, you know, in a nutshell, I, I wouldn't feel very safe going elsewhere uh, than offensive line in the first round and like hoping somebody falls to me in day two. I wouldn't feel great about that. I would kind of feel like the same thing would happen as what happened last year where there was like this like run on guards and then they didn't like have any of the guys that they were targeting left over. I'd just be a little too worried about that. But For the purposes of this fun little exercise, I decided to go elsewhere and see, you know, if I could rise to the challenge. Uh, So no, if, you know, with, with all of the offensive linemen that were off the board, that means a lot of players fell. So DK Metcalf was there. I'd probably just trade down if Metcalf was there. Somebody is going to trade up for him. Uh, You know, Noah Fant was there. There were a couple good edge rushers there. Um... So I decided to take Noah Fant. I see him very often projected as a guy that goes to the Vikings at 18 uh, in all of the mock drafts where it's not like, you know, best offensive lineman available. Um, I I went with Fant 
because I see that a lot and I wanted to talk about him. So Noah Fant is a lot rawer, I think, than he gets credit for. Like, he is seen as, like, he and Hawkinson are kind of seen as the the, the two, like, tight end, these two, you know, god-tier Iowa tight ends. Um, and generally, he wins a lot. He gets a lot of separation, but he relies on his athleticism to do so. And I think that'll translate fine into the NFL. Like, his athleticism is good enough for that to continue, but not at the rate it did at Iowa. And what you really want to see is, like, more polish in his routes. You know, he can sell just fine, um, but he does have, he doesn't, like, explode out of his breaks the way you wish he could, you know, the way you know he can with his athleticism. And those are kind of some issues that, like, if you have the athletic ability to do it, but you aren't doing it on the field, that makes me worry about your ability to learn how to do it. Because you've always been able to, but you still haven't learned, you know, why is it going to be any different one year later in the NFL? And, you know, on the contrary, I think he's a better run blocker than he gets credit for. And I think both John Ledyard and Jordan Reed said said as much in their, like, evaluations of him that he can seal off. He his, his wins are stalemates. I think somebody else at the Draft Network said that his wins in run blocking are stalemates. That is to say that, like, he doesn't blow anybody off the ball like you see, you know, David Morgan do that sometimes. He's not going to do that for you. But it, if he wins, he seals them off and he gets to the spot that he's supposed to and, and doesn't get beat, like quite that much. Now, he doesn't have that power at the point of attack that you wish you had, and in some schemes that matters. In the Vikings scheme, it doesn't really at all. And the thing about his rawness is that the Vikings are in a reasonable situation to take advantage of that rawness, because here's the thing. They have Kyle Rudolph for another year, and if you're drafting Noah Fant, you're basically just, like, sending a huge giant message to Kyle Rudolph that, like, all right, here's your this year is now your audition for other teams. And, you know, behind the scenes, that might already be the case anyways. So that, you know, who, who knows what's going on behind the scenes, though. The point is, if you do take Noah Fant, you know, he is now going to be your your number one tight end. You're going to let Kyle Rudolph walk, make a bunch of money elsewhere, get your compensatory picks, and that would be the plan, which is a plan that I'm generally in support of in the abstract for any position. So, like, Noah Fant, drafting Noah Fant, like, puts you in that situation, and that means that he can, you know, he'll, he'll contribute for sure in 2019, but he'll also develop. And then once Kyle Rudolph is gone and he's ready to step up and take the mantle of that first guy. Hopefully, he's that much better of a tight end. However, like I detailed before, that leaves us in a pretty sticky situation day two, where you're just sitting and waiting, and you're hoping for, like, the miracle of Chris Lindstrom falling to 50, or, you know, you're hoping you're not going to be stuck with, like, Caleb McGarry or, or waiting to the third round and getting Drew Samia to fill, fill that glaring guard hole that they have. So I kind of sat and I watched the board and I I watched as a couple of interior linemen, I did get lucky this time, did fall to me. One of them was Chris Lindstrom, who is off limits, so that kind of stinks. But Elgin Jenkins did fall to pick 50. So I didn't even look at who else was available. I just snagged him because you know that that has to be the pick. Now, I I did end up in the third round. uh, I did end up looking at Drew Samia on the board as well. And if he ended up being the guard, I think that's going to turn out a little bit better than you would usually expect for a third round pick. But uh, back to the second round, I did take Elgin Jenkins. And I want to talk about him a little bit now too. Now, I, I put him as like the last guy on the list when I did the episode about like the nine starting interior offensive line or the, you know, the line nine starting quality linemen in this draft. I think there are nine. And I think, uh, Elgin Jenkins is the ninth one of them. And I was actually kind of on the fence on whether or not to put him in that range. So I do think it would be a little bit of a sketchy situation. Uh, I, I think that in his past sets, he stands up, his pad level is really bad. So he stands up and then you lose all your leverage, right? Because like the most power you have in your whole body is a squat. That's going to be like the most that you can lift. That's why you, you know, lift with your legs, not your back. 
So if you stand straight up, you give up all that squat and you spend all of that power just standing up. You don't put it into the defender at all and then they can get your hand, their hands in your chest and blow you back. Now here's what's really impressive about Elgin Jenkins is that he has unbelievable core strength and unbelievable back strength and he can actually anchor from that position. So he can lose the hands battle and the defensive lineman can get his hands right into his chest and blow him back and he can actually anchor. This is something we actually saw Brian O'Neill do a whole bunch down the stretch uh, in the 2018 season, and it turned out okay. Sometimes it leads to pressure. Sometimes, you know, Kirk had to, like, move in the, you know, take a step to the side or something like that, but it's ultimately not the worst thing in the world. It's giving up pressures that don't turn into sacks, and I think you just have, like, a little bit more of that. You know, the pockets would collapse a little bit more quickly, but you wouldn't have people blowing by and getting free sacks. So, I, and I honestly, I will take that all day, every day. So it, it is an issue, and because he'd have to be thrust in directly and start, that's an issue that's going to be really, really hard to correct. So if you are, you know, settling for Elgin Jenkins in the second round because you took Noah Fant in the first round, you have to be okay with the fact that he is going to give up some pressures, but not as many sacks as you would usually expect given the amount of pressure that he will give up. Now, in the run game, this dude is a beast, and I think this is why the Vikings would want him. You know, you would you want a guy, and, and you know, don't get me wrong, he is a fine scheme fit. I think kind of similarly to Will Hernandez last year, he would be better in a scheme that just wants him to, like, get up into a guy and push him because he has all that core strength and back strength and power, but he is the kind of guy that, like, would also be fine in his own scheme, not unlike Will Hernandez. He can move exactly as much as you want him to. He can pull off the reach blocks. Like, that's not going to be an issue. He wouldn't be as good as he would be if you're basically, like, drawing the scheme around his power. Like, his mobility is not going to be as good as his power just because his power is elite, and in his own scheme, that'll go to waste a little bit. So, you know, somebody might, with a power scheme, like, say, I don't know, the Giants would maybe uh, value him a little bit more, but I think he's scheme versatile enough where, like, you're, you're not going to take him off your board or anything, and taking him in the second round is not going to be something that you're like, oh, but he's not a scheme fit. Like, it'll be fine. But, you know, he, he can get up into a guy. He can also climb just fine to the second level, which is something that the Vikings have actually a huge deficiency of right now in their offensive line room. Like, all of their backups have a really big issue climbing to the second level and, like, getting linebackers in, in those run plays and, like, you know, sealing that off and being able to turn two-yard gains into six-yard gains. Uh, and Jenkins is really good at that. So, like, I would have absolutely no problem putting him right into the left guard, teaching him the scheme, and, and seeing what happens. And then you'll be able to look at, throughout the, the next few uh, draft picks here, you'll be able to look at backups and special teams and kind of, you know, role-playing things like wide receiver three, like I talked about with Arcega Whiteside. Like, you know, you can kind of look at those things and, and just kind of say, okay, the guard thing, we got our starter. Jenkins is going to come in, start day one, and, and however that goes is how it'll go. So, real quick, before we move on to the third round and onward, Uh, I just want to remind you that you can find this show on any podcast app really where you find your favorite shows, including the new Himalaya podcast app, you know, in an ever expanding podcast world where there are so many new shows about so many topics, it can get hard to keep track of it all. So Himalaya gives you curated playlists based on your subscriptions and what they think you like, uh, new features every day and can help you make sense of all of the crazy podcast volume out there. That's the Himalaya podcast app. Go download it, subscribe to Locked on Vikings and whatever other podcasts you listen to. See if you like it. If not, it's fine. We'll still be on like Google Podcasts and Apple, you know, iTunes, everywhere that you find your favorite shows. But do go give Himalaya a try. All right, so let's get to this third round decision point that I talked about earlier. So I wanted a wide receiver, and there were a whole bunch on the board. The two that I were looking at are uh, Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside out of Stanford. 
And so, spoiler, I didn't take Arzigo Whiteside. So yeah, I took Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State, somebody who I've actually seen projected in the second round a lot, and I've seen Arzigo Whiteside projected in the second round a lot. So I kind of looked at this board, was like, okay, I'm getting a wide receiver I shouldn't be getting right now, and I'm going to be happy with that, with whichever one I choose. But after looking into it, you know, I, I looked at Arcega Whiteside as this kind of like high floor, low ceiling, like possession receiver guy that's going to come in and be exactly as good as you need him to be right now. And that's going to kind of be it, right? He's not going to become the explosive one. Terry McLaurin is a lot more raw, but he has that burner speed. And I think that's one of the things that the Vikings are missing right now. They are missing two things. They need burner speed and like after catch ability and like, you know, the kind of gadget player. I, I, in a previous mock draft, I chose Paris Campbell, the other Ohio State guy as kind of a gadget player, Cordero Patterson, you know, Percy Harvin type. And, you know, the other thing the Vikings need, and this is kind of a low-key need that you probably shouldn't be, like, basing your third-round pick around, but it does matter, is special teams. They lost Marcus Sherrills, who was really good on kickoffs, really good on punts, really good as a punt returner, and so you kind of need somebody, like, you need to think about that. And, and picking a punt gunner in the third round is not going to be a great value pick, but if you pick somebody who can also contribute on your offense... And, you know, a guy who can contribute on special teams is going to be worth a little more to you than somebody who can't. And Terry McLaurin can contribute on special teams. I, I think it was uh, Jordan Reed who called him a special te- teams assassin. He can fly down the field. He has all this great top speed. He doesn't have the kind of release that Arcega Whiteside has. He doesn't have the kind of, like, contested catchability that Arcega Whiteside has and probably needs a little bit of work before he truly is, like... You're, you know, like a starting quality wide receiver, but the Vikings don't need a like every down starting quality wide receiver. They already have two of those. They just need somebody who can come in on like 60, 70% of the plays, you know, when they're in like 11 personnel. And by the way, they're going to use that a lot less now because they drafted Noah Fant in the first round. And, you know, you're going to have like a lot of two tight end sets where you got Rudolph and Fant or, you know, Fant and Morgan or Rudolph and Morgan. You know, you're going to be using that a lot more. So, Terry McLaurin, it's the same thing. You know, Kyle Rudolph is going to be in all the plays right now still. This draft is not going to change that. But once he leaves at the end of the 2019 season, then you have, you know, Fant as your TE1, and you have McLaurin, who's been able to learn some route running, hopefully pick up a trick or two from uh, Diggs and Thielen, and then, you know, you kind of have your, like, core of the future is, is a lot younger and a lot cheaper. So moving on to day three, we've essentially added a, a guard and a couple of offensive weapons in the first three rounds. So that pretty much fixes all of the issues that the the Vikings had personnel-wise on the offense. So if you have a half-decent scheme, you should have a bunch of success on that side of the ball now. So in the fourth round, I am going to go to the defensive secondary. Like I said, the Vikings are pretty thin at safety. They can use a backup, and I think a fourth-round pick can come in and be a backup right away and then potentially develop into more. Uh, So I'm going with the safety out of Oregon, Uguchukwu Amadi. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that, but uh, he goes by Ugo for short. And Amadi is short that is kind of the first thing that pops out off of the tape which I hate to say he's five foot nine uh, but he's a ball hawk and he has the angles and he can read and react and he has that football IQ that you you really want your safeties to have uh, I, I I'll link the article about him in the show notes but Trevor Sigtimo wrote a really good piece about why that kind of is like okay and it doesn't matter that much I mean you do see his length show up sometimes there are sometimes where there are balls he, he could high point and intercept and then he just doesn't have the length to do that and he gets beat at the catch point and that's something you'd have to kind of be worried about but I do think it would make for a really interesting camp battle so Sigtimo wants to put him at nickel corner 
and kind of that like safety nickel hybrid position, kind of like what Jaron Curse plays, and that would make a really fun uh, camp battle between the five foot nine Ugo Amati and the six foot four Jaron Curse uh, to go at it at the same position. But you know, Jaron Curse doesn't really have that like athletic and read and react ability that I think Ugo would come in and have immediately, but Jaron Curse has the length and that might be all the difference that he needs. It would be a really interesting position and I would like that competition at a position that like big nickel, you know, safety kind of hybrid position that I, I honestly think is going to be more and more important as the years go on. As, you know, more teams start coming out with like tight end duos like a, you know, Rudolph and Fant duo or like an OJ Howard and Cameron Brait duo or like, you know, the really old like uh, Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski duo. I think more teams are going to start doing that. And so having a big nickel, a guy like J. Ron Curse, J. Ron Curse was excellent against tight ends last year. And having a guy that can kind of shut down that like mismatch nightmare is really important. And I think that that big nickel, like putting competition at that big nickel position would be really interesting. And, you know, worst comes to worst, with Ugo Amadi, he's still playing safety and he can be that kind of backup center fielder if Anthony Harris goes down. So moving on to the kind of back end of this draft where we talk about the sixth and seventh rounders. In the sixth round, we're going to take Ryan Bates' uh, tackle, I guess, out of Penn State. And the reason I say I guess is because he does not have the length to play tackle and he does not have the power to play tackle, especially uh, for, for run blocking purposes. Um, you definitely want somebody a little more compact on the interior, and basically everybody who scouted him agrees that he should be like moved into the interior, maybe even play center if you can teach him how to snap, because he just doesn't have the the power of the punch. But he has you know more nimble feet than I guess you thought you'd you'd see from him. You'd have you see more powerful punches than you thought you'd see from him. I, I think drafting him in the sixth is lower than I would put him. Uh, just because of the, the the cocktail of things you get from him. He has more polish than you would expect, which means that he can come in and be a backup right away, and that's what we're looking for right now, right? Like, if you can, in the sixth round, get a guy who's your backup offensive lineman for two or three years, that's a win, and I'll take it. Um, and in, in a pinch, he does know how to play tackle, so you can put him there, and you're not, like, scraping out of the bottom of the barrel or trying to go find Jake Longs or anything crazy like that. Uh, you know, you can kick him over there and kind of, like, almost Aviant Collins style, you know, a guy who... Can can play tackle, but probably doesn't have the traits to, but once you're into your backups and the depth of your roster, you you know, beggars can't be choosers, and he can, like, at least fill in when somebody's got a tweaked ankle and needs to come back, you know? But, you know, he does have a fair share of pretty detrimental flaws. He'll never be a starter for you. Uh, but in the sixth round, you're never going to find somebody with, like, starter upside, really, ever. So that's not something that, like, I'm particularly interested in looking for. I do want athletic upside in some positions, but considering where the Vikings are at in offensive line, they just need depth that can come in and have enough traits to be able to hold their own in an event of, you know, some catastrophic injury luck. So with the second pick we have in the sixth round, I went with Cortez Broughton Broughton out of uh, Cincinnati. He plays defensive tackle, and the Vikings actually do have a bit of a depth need there. Uh, They have, or, you know, like a competition need, I guess, where, like, right now, Shamar Steffen is the anointed starter at three technique, and I don't like that, and I don't think Cortez Broughton, I don't think you're going to get, like, competition for him in any real sense in the sixth round, but I do think that eventually Cortez Broughton can become that. Uh, he, everybody just raves about his traits. He has all this explosiveness off the, off the snap. He has all this power. He has enough speed. He's bendy enough to play interior defensive line. Like he really does look the part, I guess, in, in more ways than just size, you know, like in the best, the best thing that that can mean, he looks the part. Uh, he has a big problem with his hands 
and his hand technique. He doesn't really know how to use them. And like to the point of it being the wrong kind of raw, which is something I've been talking about a lot on this show. There's the right kind of raw where you like innately have the ability to do things or you kind of have the muscle memory to do things, but there's just little technique tweaks or little things that a coach can teach you. And then there's the wrong kind of raw where you don't know how to do it at all. And somebody would have to teach you from scratch. And usually that requires years of muscle memory to truly get down and reach that potential. But I also think that if you're just the wrong kind of raw in one thing in hand technique, that in the sixth round, I'm okay with that upside. And he has all this tremendous burst and he's really explosive off the snap, which is something that the Vikings really care about a lot. So I, I am okay with it. I mean, I I saw, I think it was Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs at the Draft Network both really bought into his upside, and I'm with them. I'm buying into it, and I'm taking him in the sixth round, and I think that he can become, in a couple of years, like he can outplay that draft stock pretty significantly and really maybe even be like a rotational player that like comes in often. So with the first pick in the seventh round that the Vikings have, uh, I chose another safety, and I, that's a weird choice, and it's one that I don't think I would have if it were a real-life draft. I think I would have gone elsewhere than uh, Darius West out of uh, Kentucky, but I, I wanted to talk about him. And, you know, again, the point of this exercise is to talk about players, not necessarily to construct the best drafts that I possibly can. I mean, I'm already so restricted. There are guys in every round that I really probably wa- rather, I rather would have taken like Jimmy Moreland, but I've already taken him in one of these. And so I can't do that. So I do want to talk about Darius West. I see him a lot in mock drafts is as one of these late round guys. I think part of it is because the Vikings have shown interest in, in the Kentucky secondary. Part of it is because he has had an injury history that may have limited his development. And that might mean that there's some like hidden upside there that we don't see. And if he can stay healthy, he can realize it and then like outplay his draft stock. And that's something that does happen in the NFL all the time. So like taking that bet is, is okay. Um, so Darius West is primarily a box safety. He doesn't have the, the lateral range or the quickness. I, I think even like outside of his injuries he just doesn't have that like burst and that's going to hurt him on special teams too you know if you you can't be a punt gunner if you can't fly down the field um but he does tackle and he does hit very hard and you know he's he's got that aggressiveness and that like that doggedness that you want from like a good strong safety you know like that uh like the jamal adams thing except like in this at a sixth round level or a seventh round level Um, so I, I did select him here, hoping that he can come in and be like a coverage guy and help out on special teams, but he has to stay healthy. And I think that his like actual ability isn't quite as well suited for that. Um, again, I took him primarily because I wanted to talk about him because I see him all the time. I probably would have gone elsewhere with this pick if it were real life. And I would want the Vikings to do so too. So the last guy that I want to talk about today is, uh, Tim Ward out of Old Dominion. He's the last guy that I selected. He's an edge rusher. Uh, he really, the only like information out there on him is guys that were studying the guy uh, opposite him, the other edge rusher at Old Dominion, uh, and like saw him also on the tape. Uh, but he has like this great bend and this great length, and he... He's like 6'5", 255. He's very close in size to Anthony Barr. So basically, I would try to put him on the fast track to becoming like a Steven Weatherly, which is what the Vikings wanted, I think, out of Weatherly. He was like a kind of outside linebacker slash defensive end type, you know, maybe more of a 3-4 end type to kind of be a backup to Barr. And Weatherly ended up, you know, developing a lot better at edge rusher. Now I think he's just a pure edge rusher. Uh, So I'm going to like take another stab at that. 
with Tim Ward. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to teach him how to cover, and that is going to be a tall order, right? Because he was an edge rusher, and teaching him how to cover is really difficult. But in a zone blitz situation, you know, having a guy that pass rushes most of the time and then backs off into coverage is really, really valuable because it means, you know, the offense is going to, like, dedicate a, a tackle to him or dedicate, like, a lineman to blocking the edge rusher because, duh. And then when that guy backs off into coverage, you know, you've wasted a lineman who is now blocking someone who isn't rushing. And that's the way that, like, most zone blitzes work. Zimmer does this all the time. I think in reality, he ends up being the third team Anthony Barr, you know, the like guy playing that position in the fourth quarter of preseason games. And he would definitely take a lot of development before he can actually be a contributor. But I love the upside you get once you go through that work. The problem is you have to, he has to be at least good enough at it to make it to the practice squad two years in a row. And then maybe you get something out of him. So again, you're, you're looking for very delayed, very minimal returns, but it's the seventh round and you're not going to lose anything if you don't get it. And when the returns do come back, I do think that he can kind of be, you know, after a few years, he can kind of take that same Stephen Weatherly late bloomer uh, trajectory that we're starting to see from him. And hopefully you can kind of just keep an influx of those, those rotational edge rushers coming. So that is going to do it for mock draft Monday. And thus that is going to do it for this episode of locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at locked on Vikings. You can find the show on Himalaya, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast locked on Vikings. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always skull. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.